series. We started last week, Miserable Christians, I called it. Um, I have good reason for naming that. Uh, but we spent last week really focusing on the mind. Um, we looked at three passages, all from Paul. Romans 12, 2, uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? Philippians 4, uh, 5 uh, through 8, or no, I'm off. Philippians 4, 8 through 9, something like that. But Paul's reminding the Philippian church, think about these things, what's pure, what's good, what's lovely, what's honorable. Talking about what to think about, right? And then again, Romans 8, uh, those that want to walk in the Spirit have to have their minds on the Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit uh, wants to do. And so all of those really took those all in together. We know that for Paul, the Apostle Paul, really the, uh, wrote majority of the New Testament, this great champion of the faith, this great church father, the mind was important to him. And as he was discipling churches, as he was uh, really helping them grow and encouraging those bodies, he constantly talks about the mind. And I just wanted to encourage you guys last week and through this sermon series that the mind is important. It's important what we think about. It's important how we think about things. Um, it's greatly important, and it's specifically really important because they are so influential, our thoughts are so influential on our feelings. And we all know how influential our feelings are, right? Our emotions. I mean, if we're honest, how long can you go doing something that you just hate doing, right? We all know it's hard to do stuff we're just not into doing. We can do it for a period of time, and some of us are better than others with that, but it's difficult, right? It's hard to stay in a friendship or relationship when you just don't like that person, right? It's hard to do that. Our emotions are important, and they're powerful in how we live our lives. And so we looked at a book. Uh, David D. Burns wrote a book called Feeling Great. He's, he's a famous, uh, well-known psychologist, a psychiatrist, that really championed and really pioneered cognitive behavior therapy, which is essentially, hey, we need to look at your thoughts, because your thoughts uh, influence your emotions. So we talked about the importance of those things. We talked about how that really is, our thoughts are behind these emotions. And then we delved into some cognitive, uh, cognitive dis distortions. I was like, disorders? No, not disorders, no. Cognitive distortions, which are essentially just 11 ways in which we can fall into bad ways of thinking. There are just 11 ruts that you can fall into, we can all fall into for different reasons, and they're just bad ways of thinking. Now, I want to make this point uh, clear because I don't think I said it last week. Uh, what's great about David D. Burns and also what's great um, and what I want to remind us this morning, he's not proposing that you somehow believe in illusions, right, or that your thoughts you know, you just have to think positively, and it's totally disconnected from reality. He doesn't do that, which is great. And so I don't want to, in any of these, be like, hey, you know, throw reality out the door and just think more positively. That's not his uh, formula. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. What he really shows is that, man, we are just really good at taking a little hint of reality and just going way too far with it, right? We go down the rabbit hole, we go down the black hole to a point where we're no longer really in touch with reality, 
right? And maybe we've all done that in relationships. Man, you just were like, this person is da-da-da-da-da, oh my gosh. And then you're like, you just think terribly about them, and then you realize, oh, okay, they're not actually that bad. Why did I think that terribly? I, I read uh, this week about this um, uh, illustration David D. Burns gives where he was riding on a bike, and uh, you know he just wanted to have a leisurely bike ride, and this guy's like coming up behind him on a bike. Well, he's like, well, you know, competitive spirit. I don't want this guy to pass me, so I'm going to start going faster and faster. And the guy's like keeps on his tail. He's like, son of a gun, this tool, right? You know, he just wants to pass me, and now I'm like sweating, and now I'm huffing and puffing, and I'm just so ticked. This tool just keeps coming up behind me, yada, yada, making all these overgeneralizations, right? He gets to the top, and he's about to turn around and be like, hey, what the heck, man? Like, why do you got to be, you know, this way? And the guy turns and says, hey, man, thanks so much. I would not have been able to make it up that hill if I didn't, you know, you didn't push me. Right? You see how it is? Like, from our vantage point, that from his vantage point, he was like, this dude is a you-know-what. And from the other guy's vantage point, he's like, man, thank you so much. You pushed me up that hill. I made it. Thank you. And now you're like, oh, Okay. And we do that all the time, right? It just looks that way to us. And so we take things, do, 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 based on our experience with things, based on how we're feeling that day, based on a lot of different things. But we can get out of touch with reality. So that's what I'm kind of saying and bringing to light is that I don't want us to get into illusions. But just we need to recognize the fact that our thoughts can get disconnected from reality quite quickly. So. With that in mind, we talked about the last two weeks, or last week, we talked about all or nothing thinking. That was the first cognitive uh, distortion. Uh, again, reality is not so black and white all the time as sometimes we want it to be or can fall into. Uh, a great example of this, if you've watched the Jeter documentary, Derek Jeter, the Captain documentary, I love it. It's great. He has all or nothing thinking to the nth degree. He says it constantly through it. It was World Series or it was a failed season. World Series championship or a failed season. Whew, that's not fun. That's not fun to live in. And he even says it. They lose in the World Series and he's like, I was miserable all off season. Just miserable. Well, no kidding. Nobody can live up to that. You know, that's just going to make anybody miserable, right? All or nothing thinking. There's a lot of black and white or a lot of gray in reality, we need to be recognize that. The second one, we talked about overgeneralization, right? Where you take one mistake you've made once in, and you immediately take it to yourself, your identity. And you're like, man, I made this one mistake, so I'm just this terrible person. Well, hold on, man, you're going really far with that, right? Why can't you compartmentalize, be specific? You made this mistake, you made this sin, see it as it is, don't put that on your identity, especially as children of God, especially as those who have been given a new identity in Christ as God's child, especially since we know what we get from that identity. Man, we do not need to go that far. You are overgeneralizing that. And that's, again, just going to make you feel miserable. But that's why it's called miserable, Christian, because sometimes these, these cognitive distortions, these bad ways of thinking, this cause these emotions to just exasperate, get bigger than they actually are, and they make us feel miserable, especially in our relationship with God. And that's where I'm really hitting on. So we're going to continue on this week, all right? We're going to hit four more. 
And um, again, just try to bring to light some examples of these cognitive distortions. Um, these, are, these examples are by no means the end-all be-all. These are just what I could come up with as I was thinking about it. But I gave you space. Hopefully you can write down and think through these things. And where have I fallen into this? And what does it look like for me and my relationship with God? Okay? So let's start with the first one. Mental filtering and discounting the positive. Right? In our mindsets, right? In our thinking... We can easily get into this rut where we're mental filtering and we're discounting the positive. What that means is you filter out or ignore the positives and focus entirely on the negatives. All right, that's what this means. We'll just give it a little bit of a second. You ever done that? <laughs> you ever fallen into that? You ever mentally filtered through? You focus on the negative, especially with a particular person. I just focused on all their negatives, and I just totally threw out or ignored or couldn't even be aware of their positives. They were just all bad, right? I've heard it said like this, your mind is like Velcro for the negative, Teflon for the positives. Velcro sticks, your mind will stick to negatives, especially someone who's already wronged you in the past, or maybe you're, you've been with them for a long time, right? What is that? Uh, normalcy breeds contempt, something like that. Uh, things like that. You can just, you can get real focused on the negative real, real fast, and you're stuck to it. You can't take it off your mind. You're just focused on the negative. And again, the positive, it's like Teflon. just slides right off. Or you may not even be aware of it. You may not even be able to see the good in this person because you're so focused on the negative. Now let's be certain though, in our relationship with God, we can easily flip-flop these, right? We can easily flip-flop it to the point where we totally discount the things we don't like about God or maybe are not the most like peace-feeling, goody, you-know-what kind of stuff about God and we focus entirely on the good stuff. What that looks like, your first example, Sometimes you can be so focused on God's love, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness, and you mentally filter out that God is also just. God is just. God disciplines the ones He loves, and God hates sin. All right? We don't want to fall into the mental filtering of, well, God just loves me. God does love you. You're absolutely right. But He's also just. And he's also a good father, and we know a good father disciplines his children. And he also hates that sin. And we don't want to lose sight of that. And we don't want to ignore that. And just be like, well, no big deal. You know, I sinned. Jesus died on the cross. No big deal. Got the forgiveness. I'm good. We don't want to get into that. You don't want to get into that. Man, that is just not a good road. That is not a good way of viewing God. We don't want to get into that. Another example, it's not an example, but we all know in a dating relationship, right, you can be totally focused on the positives, rose-colored glasses, discount the negatives, right? We can totally get that way, right? But I think a lot, though, with God, it's the first way. We ignore the positives. We focus entirely on the negatives. So here's your second example. In the church, we know how much, how important community and relationships are. Uh, being together, being united, right? And inevitably, we're going to run up against each other. And we're going to have different opinions and different personalities. And 
We're going to get on each other's nerves, and you're not going to like something that somebody said, or somebody's going to let you down, and they're not going to be there, or you name it. Something's going to happen with somebody in the body of Christ, right? And it can get very easy to focus on that person's negative qualities, how they wronged you, how they annoyed you, how they let you down, and you discount or ignore what's really great about Right? Again, it's not all or nothing, right? We don't want to overgeneralize like we talked last week, where they made one mistake, they didn't do this or that, and immediately like, oh, they're just this bad person. Cut them off. Oh, we don't want to get that way. We're all, we all got a lot of good and we all got a lot of bad, right? We all talked about that last week. We all got good stuff and we all got bad stuff, all right? We all have that. So let's not discount the positives. Look for the positives. A third example, specifically with, with God and our relationship with God, we can easily discount the many blessings we have in Christ just by being his son or his daughter in Christ. And we discount that and we just focus on what God hasn't done for me lately. Get so focused on what God has not done for me lately. And so we get miserable in our relationship with God. And he's not answering this prayer, or I'm not feeling this, or I'm not getting this. And I'm miserable because I'm annoyed because you're so focused on what God hasn't done and you've forgotten what all that he has done. And again, this is human nature, folks. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. Just great to be back in the Old Testament. And golly, first five books of the Bible, man, Israel is like the typology, the type of, of, of this, man. They constantly are forgetting. Oh, yeah. And they constantly are pointing back. Remember what God did in Egypt? Remember how he delivered you out of Egypt? Oh, yeah. We were just so mad that we didn't have meat to eat. Ah, right? We can get this way. We can get this way, folks. We all know this. Don't want to fall into that. Fourth example, I've made some progress in my relationship with God or a specific bad habit or sin, but I still have so far to go. This is the focus... Uh, uh, discounting the positive of this cognitive distortion. Let's not discount a day in the right direction, right? Man, if you're struggling with a sin this morning or a bad habit, don't discount a day that you went without doing it. Man, we can get so easy be like, yeah, but I'm not perfect, and golly, perfection is so down the road that I just can't even imagine being out of this sin. So you immediately discount one day or two days or a week because you're just so focused on, well, it's got to be perfect. And you discount that progress. Don't discount that progress. Any progress is great progress, whatever it may be. If you go from not reading your Bible at all to reading one verse, that's progress. That's awesome. That's positive. Don't discount that, all right? Don't be so comparison-driven and like, well, I'm not reading, you know, like, like Grant or like other people, or I'm not even reading the chapter. No, 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 you made progress. You went from zero to one. Like, that's great. Don't discount that. Why not discount that? Because, man, you're just going to drive yourself insane, and you're probably just going to be so discouraged it's just going to make you fall right back. Don't discount the positive. So the antidote to mental filtering and discounting the positive it's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. 
1 Thessalonians 5.18. Be thankful. Be grateful. Remember what God has done in your life. That is like the theme of the Old Testament, right, to Israel. Remember what God has done for you. Remember His faithfulness. Remember what God has done in your life when it's hard, when you're not getting what you want, when you're not getting what you want in prayer, when you don't feel certain things that you want to feel. Remember God and what He has done in your life. Remember. Be grateful. And again, if you've you know, fallen into that rut where you're so focused on God loves me, God's grace, God's mercy, yes, amen, that's great, so true. But you've got to have the full view of God and recall, He hates sin. He hates that sin. He doesn't want that for you. He hates it, right? And He's just, and He will be just, and He will always be just, and He will always hate that sin. So hold the full view of God and not just the parts we like. Amen? Number two, Jumping to conclusions. Another cognitive distortion we can fall into. Right? We jump to conclusions. Who has never jumped to a conclusion? <laughs> Good. All right. That's right. Jump to conclusions. Kind of, there's kind of, um, we'll go with the first one. Mind reading is kind of the first jumping to conclusion. We do this thing called mind reading. <laughs> You jump to conclusions about how others are thinking and feeling about you without clear evidence. Again, I talked about this. Our minds are just really great at taking a little something and going way too far with it. And we don't have clear evidence for down here, right? And again, it's based on our experiences, our past experiences, maybe with a person, just how we interpret reality. Golly, there are so many factors for why we do this, but we know we do this. We go to far with things, and we get, we don't have clear evidence for this, specifically in our relationship. Think about this dialogue I created. Um, pretend someone came to me, and I'm going to talk to them, all right? Someone comes to me, and they say, man, just not feeling good. And I ask them, well, what's up? What's going on? Man, I just feel God is so angry with me. All right, well, I say, well, why do you feel that way? Well, they might say, well, I sinned, I disobeyed God, so he must be really mad and disappointed in me. And now he's going to punish me. And I'd say to them, why do you think like that? Why do you think that? Well, they may say, well, the Old Testament has plenty of examples of God being really mad at his people because of disobedience. And he punished them pretty severely. Also in Hebrews, talks about how God disciplines the ones he loves. So, yeah. God's disappointed me, and he's going to have his way with me, and it's not going to be fun. Well, I might come back to them and say, well, yeah, you're right, definitely right, but the Old Testament also says that God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And the New Testament also talks about how God is love, 1 John 4, and the greatest definition or expansion of what love is is 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says the first thing he talks about love is love is patient. So what do you think about that? I don't know, I didn't, uh, didn't really remember those passages, the other person might say. Or those passages don't apply to this situation. And I would come back with mental filtering. <laughs> right? 
Because why do those passages apply to you in that circumstance, but these don't? And how do you know which passage applies to you? Right? You see how we get that way? Right? We're mind reading, right? And again, it's based on our experience. It's based on our personalities, right? We can get this way. But, um, but you see how we can discount some passages in the Bible while really focusing on others and not realizing, like, hold up, wait a minute, step back. Maybe you have a bias towards this. Maybe you're mental filtering. Maybe you're focused on this. Why aren't you focused on that? Man, we can get into this way. We can pretend we can mind read God and know what he's thinking and what he's feeling and what he's going to do to us because of this, X, Y, and Z. We can get that way. And my antidote and my encouragement is read the book of Job. Read the whole book of Job. Job is this great, great book for so many different reasons. One of the best ones. It's so good to read a story about someone who thought they were so right about something, so justified, and to come to find out, pfft, nope, not right, not on it, not in line with it. I was told once I should read Pride and Prejudice. I have yet to read Pride and Prejudice, but they said it would be good to read Pride and Prejudice so that you can read a story about a person who thought they were so right, so right, and knew what this person was all about, and come to find out they were so wrong about a person. Well, yeah, that's fascinating. It's not a bad thing. And Job thought, man, I'm justified. God has wronged me. This is not right. I haven't done anything wrong. I love God's answer at the end. Who are you? Who are you, Job? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I brought forth wisdom? Who are you to say you have wisdom and greater wisdom than I? Who are you? Ladies and gentlemen, in the softest and gentlest way possible, if you are falling into mind reading of God, who are you to pretend that you know God's mind? Who are you? This should give you great relief. Don't fall into it. You, you're not going to know. God's too big. God's too infinite. God's too complex. He can't be put in a box. We have his word, and we have a lot along the spectrum of how he may act. We have general principles. We have examples of how he has acted. But golly, you've got to go to him in your specific situation. you got to go to him in full view and trust him and how he is going to respond in your situation rather than just... Oh, he's going to do this. Oh, Because again, with these things, with a lot of these cognitive distortions, they can become self-fulfilling prophecies. Oh, God's going to punish me. God's going to do it this way. And then something may bad happen in your life or something doesn't go right, and you're like, ah, that's it. Yep, I was right. God's punishment. That's punishment from God. Have we ever done that? I'm saving my example for the last one, but I'll show you exactly how that's played out in my life. Man, read all of God's Word. Read all of God's Word. Man, don't jump to conclusions with God. Don't jump to conclusions that you know how He's acting, unless He's told you specifically. But if He hasn't told you specifically, then golly, don't jump there. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust all of His Word. Trust the whole gambit. Trust Him rather than trying to put them into a box. Amen? All right, number three, fortune-telling, hopelessness. 
The third one, fortune telling. You make arbitrary and disturbing predictions about the future. It's as if you have a crystal ball that only gives bad news. You tell yourself that things will never change and that your problems will never be solved. This probably causes the most miserable feeling in your relationship with God. This one probably right here. It's fortune telling. It's predicting the future. Again, we have, our brains are kind of, they don't work against us, but it makes a lot of sense why we would fall into this one. It's because our brains are these predicting machines. They're constantly predicting the future, constantly putting bits and pieces together, constantly trying to predict what is coming. Makes sense, right? If we know what's coming, we're less surprised, we're able to kind of uh, deal with things if we're a little bit more aware of them, right? There's tons of reasons for this. But because we're constantly trying to predict the future, it's so easy to really get into this fortune telling. And again, based on your personality, your past experiences, you could be pessimistic towards the future, you could be optimistic towards the future, but you can easily, easily fall into this hopelessness. Both, even optimists, can fall into this hopelessness. Some examples of this is, I'm never not going to struggle with this sin. You struggled with the sin for many years, and you're like, you know what, the future's hopeless. I'm never not going to struggle with this sin. What's the key word in that first one, or the underlined? You guys remember which cognitive distortion uses always and never all the time? Overgeneralization, right? You're overgeneralizing. You're taking something specific and you're blowing it up to an infinite degree. Always and never. Always and never? Really? Can we really definitively say always and never? Can we? Does God have no power? Does God have no ability? Always and never. Always. Always going to struggle with sin. I have it differently in my notes. I'm never going to have an intimate relationship with God. Man, again, you see your relationship with God right now, it's not very good. Maybe you've tried, you tried to read your Bible, you've tried to pray, tried all these things, and you're just like, I don't feel close to God. I'm never going to have an intimate relationship with God. I'm never going to be able to definitively know that God is real. Man, my faith is weak right now. It's small. I'm just just can't imagine ever having like really strong faith. Again, fortune telling, hopelessness. This situation is never going to change, whatever it may be in your life. Maybe going through a hard thing right now, and you're just like, it's hopeless. It's never going to change. Really? Never? No possible circumstance that could arise, or no possible thing that could arise that would cause this to change? Really, there's nothing? There's nothing that you can think of? Never? God is never going to give me what I want. Never? Really? You can already put that stamp on that? Say, never? Never? It's a little bit. Maybe I'm a middle child and I'm a lot, you know, less black and white than people, but never just feels too definitive. I don't think the evidence is clear enough to make that one. Here's your antidote, folks. Here's your antidote for hopelessness. Think of Moses in the Red Sea coming out of Egypt. God delivers them out of Egypt. They come up against the Red Sea. 
Pharaoh changes his mind. He's coming with the chariots. You have the Red Sea on one hand, and you have the chariots of Egypt on the other hand. Situation looks hopeless. There ain't no way. And what does God do? He makes a way through the Red Sea so that they can, they can walk on dry ground. Man, you've got hundreds of thousands of Israelites in the desert, and their food is running out, and it looks hopeless. How in the world are we going to find food in the desert? And God provides manna, bread from heaven, to feed them. So much so, it was coming out their ears, and they had that every single day. Again, water. Where are you going to find water in the desert? It's going to be sparse. You've got hundreds of thousands of Israelites traveling through. How are you going to have water for people and for their animals? It looks hopeless. How are we going to do this? God makes water come from a rock. Man, Israel, again, hundreds of thousands of people, but they're coming in as nomads, and God's saying, I have this promised land for you. But you're going to go up against cities. You're going to go up with, against fortified cities and people that are much bigger and stronger with you and well-established. And what's going to happen? It looks hopeless, right? Send out the 12 spies. Ten of them come back. No way. We can't do this. No way. We're not going to make it in this promised land. We can't do it. And yet two say, no, we trust in the Lord. The Lord has given this. He has promised this to us. He will deliver. And again, how does God deliver? In the book of Joshua, He delivers time and time again in these battles. Jericho being the most famous of them all. Right? Again, look at Jesus in the New Testament. Man, we got 5,000 people here. Send them away, Jesus. We can't feed them all, right? Jesus says, give me two, two fish, five loaves of bread. He says, oh, I'll show you what hopelessness looks like. I will change that hopelessness. Again, disciples in the, in the sea, right? They're in the boat in the sea. The sea's going nuts. Looks hopeless. We're going to die. What's going to happen? Jesus shows again what he does with hopelessness. And he calms that sea. Man, guys, I can go on. Peter, right? It's hopeless. God will never love me. He'll never restore me. He has nothing in store for me. I've just sinned. I have rebelled. I have denied Him. He just can never restore me. And yet Peter is a shining example of what hopelessness, what God does in hopelessness. Again, this person is just so terrible. They're never going to come to know Christ. Man, they're just hopeless. They're just never going to know Jesus. Ever. And yet God shows us Paul, a persecutor of the early church, and what with like one sentence Jesus did with Paul that changed him. Paul, why do you kick against the goads? Ah, I love that. I love that. Why do you persecute me? And that changes the heart of Paul in an instant. Guys, hopelessness does not really uh, uh, go in line with our Christian faith. It doesn't. I get it. I get why people get hopeless, right? I get why we get discouraged and despair. I do. I get it. But you have so many examples in the Bible that looked so hopeless in the moment, and yet God delivers. And God shows a way through that hopelessness. And He turns that hopelessness into hope. Man. Paul encourages us the three big three. The big three. Faith, hope, and love. Hope is a big one. We have such great reasons to be hope-filled, not hopeless. Man, we have such great reasons. Your faith is in Jesus. Your faith in God. They are not compatible. Hopelessness. And I get it. I'm not, I'm not discounting or invalidating any feelings of hopelessness. Right? Those are real. That's okay. But man, I think you read God's Word and you lean into Him. And your faith in Him, oh man, I think He will show you and He will change that hope lessness into hope-filledness. Amen. Our last one, fortune-telling that leads to anxiety. 
you tell yourself that you're in danger and that something terrible is about to happen, right? Anxiety is, is built on fear, right? It's an over sense of fear, right? You fear something. You fear something going on. You fortune tell. Again, you're projecting in the future. I've got to give this big talk. And I'm fortune telling that I'm going to screw it up and everybody's going to judge me and they're going to, it's going to be terrible. I'm afraid of that, right? That's how we can fall into that. In your relationship with God, God is going to punish me in some terrible way because of my sin. Again, you're fortune telling. You're looking into the future and you're like, man, God's going to punish me. It's going to be horrible. And now I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of his punishment. I was this way big time for the longest time. In high school, I was sinning. I was looking at pornography, terrible thing, and I was so afraid of God. So afraid of God. And I thought, again, man, he's going to punish me. You know how he's going to do it? He's going to do it in the thing I love the most, sports. He's going to embarrass me in sports, and I'm going to do something terrible. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to make an error, whatever it may be. That's how he's going to punish me. That's how he's going to get me back from my sin. And guess what? Self-fulfilling prophecy. It wasn't that God was purposely in punishing me in sports, is that as an athlete, I was going into, into a game thinking God was going to punish me and that I was going to make mistakes and I was going to be embarrassed. And we all know as athletes, when you go into a mindset like that, into sport, you're more than likely going to do that. And it's not because God was doing anything. It's just because my view of God, I was afraid of God. I was so afraid of Him. So afraid of Him. Guys, we do not, we do not have to be that way. We do not have to live that way. The antidote for anxiety, as I have read and studied, the, the foremost antidote and best thing for any type of anxiety is exposure. You just got to do it. You got to do it and realize you can do it and you're going to be okay. In football, the best way to learn how to get over your fear of being hit is to get hit. <laughs> just take a hit and you realize, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. I built it up to be this really big thing. I thought it was going to be so painful. It was going to hurt so bad. And then I took a hit, and it's like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right? Public speaking. Oh, it's going to be horrible. I'm going to be nervous, and I'm going to be doing a terrible job. I'm going to be you know, saying um like crazy, and everybody's going to hate me, and they're all going to think I'm so stupid, and they're going to hate what I'm going to talk about. You know what? Get up there and talk, and I guarantee you that is not going to be it. That is not going to be the audience's view of it. Man, they're never. We're always, always so much harder on ourselves than other people, for the most part. I wouldn't say always, but for the most part, many of us are so much harder than, on ourselves than other people. Man, you just got to do it. If something makes you anxious, something makes you anxious in your relationship with God, do it and see that, hey, it's okay. I can do this. Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You can do it. Man, Joshua 1.9, again, Joshua. Man, God's like, here we go, Joshua. You're the new leader, all right? And we're going to go take this promised land, and you're going to lead these Israelites, and yeah, there's more people, and they got fortified cities. But guess what? Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Do not be dismayed. For I am with you wherever you go. Again, man, God's telling them, hey, trust me. I'm with you. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6, right? Again, right before Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. 
right? But through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And a peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Man, again, it always comes back to this, find your security and your identity in Christ. I think, I think the identity in Christ, I think the sermon series is good and it's important, but I think you could like probably get everything that I want you to get by just growing in your identity in Christ and being more secure in it. I really think you can. I think it will really help you get out of any of these cognitive distortions, any of these pitfalls. I really do. I think it will, uh, and, and what's crazy about the identity is I think it will, you show me your identity and I'll show you how far you'll go, so to speak, in your relationship with God. Like it really is kind of this gatekeeper. It's this uh, governor, if you will. You can't really outpace your identity in Christ. You can't get ahead of it. You're always going to be with it or behind it, but you can't really get out in front of it. So again, are you secure in your identity in Christ? Are you secure in that? Or is it based on how well you obey Him and how well you do what you're supposed to do? Because if you are secure in your identity in Christ and who He is and who you are, then I think you can have great peace. Great peace. Trusting Him. I really think you can. So in conclusion, again, we've hit four more of these cognitive distortions, these bad ways of thinking that we can fall into, these ruts. Again, where has your relationship with God fallen into one or more of these categories? Again, are you mental filtering? Are you discounting the positives you have in your relationship with God? Are you only focusing on the negatives? We do this in our relationships with other people. I mean, take this beyond not just with God, but with relationships with other people. Are you just focused on the negatives in other people? Do they really not have any good qualities? And again, I'm not asking you to be thinking about something that's not grounded in reality. I would just argue that reality is they probably do have some negative things, but they also probably have some really great things. So let's not totally judge them completely right off the bat. Jumping to conclusions. Are you jumping to conclusions? Do you think you know the mind of everybody else? Right? Are you distrustful? Right? You're like, no, I know people didn't really like that. And then someone comes up to you, you're like, man, that was great. Are you distrustful of it? Are you like, yeah, Thanks, you're just being nice, right? Can we, can we all get into that a little bit, right? Do we really think we have the end-all, be-all? We know the minds of everybody else, and especially we know the mind of God? Come on now. Read the whole word of God when it comes to God. Pray to him. Ask him, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about me? Golly, ask people, what do you feel about this? What was your honest opinion about this? Trust them. Golly. Fortune-telling, hopelessness. Are you hopeless this morning? Is the situation you find yourself in hopeless? Is the situation you find yourself in with sin or, or just uh, a particular emotion? Do you just feel hopeless this morning? Golly, God's Word has so many examples of hopelessness that got flipped around. Are you anxious this morning? Anxious about particular situations? Anxious about your relationship with God? Anxious about God in general? Just afraid of Him? Oh, man, are you secure in your identity? Are you secure in how much he loves you? Are you secure in your, your adoption as his son and daughter? You don't have to be afraid of your father, your heavenly father. You don't. I'm not going to lie to you. God will discipline you. But it's for your good. And, man, I think, you know, if you want to get, like, real mature, 100, mature-like level, all right, 
man, see discipline as a good thing. Take responsibility for your actions. Man, that's a great thing. Right? You did sin. You messed up. All right, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it, God. Because I don't want that to happen anymore. And so I'm going to take the discipline. I take responsibility and ownership for this. Do what you've seen best. Woo, boy. I think God would be like, oh, man, we're going in the right direction with this person. All right? If you said that to God, I think God would be thrilled by it. I think he would love it. And I bet you, like most fathers, they'd be like, you know what, that was just so awesome. I'm not going to spank you. I'm just going to laugh. You know, we're going to have a good time. All right, you're going to be all right. All right, get back in there. Cow, you know. You know? I think, I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised God's thoughts about you in every situation, good or bad. I think you'd be very surprised how, uh, how he responds to those things. He's no fool. He knows our form. I love that. I think it's a Psalm 103. He knows our form. He knows what we are and what we're capable of, and he knows what it's like to be a human being. Jesus was a human being. He knows the weakness of the flesh, right? He empathizes with it. He knows it full well, right? So he's not unempathetic, right? He's not this cold father who's like, well, I don't care how you feel, and I don't care, you know, you just got to do it. So get out there and do it. No, he knows. He knows it's hard. He knows it's hard. He knows faith is hard. He knows all those things. Man, I think you'd be surprised how empathetic God is towards you. And again, Hebrews, I believe it's Hebrews 4, 15, somewhere around there. If you need that encouragement, Hebrews 4, 15, somewhere around there, you will find that verse. And are you secure in your identity in Christ? Golly, if that is just a really abstract idea to you, I encourage you to pray. It's been a big prayer of mine the last couple weeks of just driving this home, my identity in you, Christ. Show me what that is. Help me to feel it. Help me to know it. Help me to be so secure in this. I know it's so important. And it will be good. And it will definitely help us as we continue to take control of our minds, continue to be wise with our thoughts, and continue to help ourselves not to fall into these ruts, but to really see we have a lot of reason to be joy-filled this morning in our Lord. Amen? Amen. If you'll stand with me, we'll close in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for you. We are so grateful for your Holy Spirit who helps us, even though I forgot to say that. God, we're so grateful for you, Holy Spirit, that you empower us and you're helping us and you are our counselor and our helper and our guide. We do just continue to seek you, Holy Spirit, to help us. Help us where we've fallen into just bad ways of thinking that are just removed from reality. We've taken things too far, especially taken things too far with you, God. Help us. Guide us back to the truth. Guide us back to the truth, God, of your word and how you've revealed yourself in your word and in Jesus. God, bless us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. The joy of the Lord. Restore that to us, Father God. We pray this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen.